Hello, everyone, and welcome to Bureaucrats Anonymous, episode two. I am Paul Williams, one of your hosts. And I am Emil Zidel, an anonymous bureaucrat whose opinions are not those of his employer. That's right. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. That's not my department. So sorry, lady. You gotta go someplace else. So today, uh, we're covering yet another Joe Biden plan. Last week we talked, or last episode we talked about the uh, American Rescue Plan. And this week, we're going to be talking about the American Jobs Plan, uh, also known as the Infrastructure Proposal, uh, which the White House announced uh, about a week and a half ago now. And uh, we're going to be discussing a lot about the infrastructure proposals, particularly those related to uh, transportation infrastructure upgrades, and even more specifically, this is the train episode that you've all been waiting for. Whoa, whoa, whoa. This is not the train episode. This is the first train episode. The first train episode. I just episode. want to be very right. clear <laughs> that there will be more than one train episode, yeah, of we're which not, this is the first one. We're not done. We're just getting started, as they say. It's it's going to annoy uh, longtime fans who are like, why did you bring all this train drama into this? I was interested in a wide multiplicity of topics, and you can blame me for that. Yeah, this is we're going to quickly become a, just a trains podcast. I'm going to be pushing back a little bit on that. You know, I think we do need to cover a few more topics, but we really got a train. My co-host here is a bit of a train nut. Gotta, uh, you you got to train me. Do you do you all have a term for yourselves? You train heads? Um, so, well, so the, the basic term, and I, I would say actually I'm not one of these, but the sort of general term is a rail fan. And these are people like who go out and like take photographs and, and videos of trains as they go by, which, which I don't really do. Um, much okay. respect for people who do that. Um, uh, Jeremy Zorick of uh, New Brunswick, New Jersey has been doing a lot of great videos of like the Acela, the, the new Acela trains uh that are undergoing testing um but I, I i don't i'm not a rail fan like that but i am certainly a train yeah. enthusiast shall we say well I, I will say so when i when i lived in chicago uh i lived in the logan square neighborhood and my my uh my route was the blue line in chicago which was originally planned to receive these uh these new um, train cars that were being built by a Chinese firm down on the south side of Chicago, uh, or the American wing of a Chinese firm, and and they started rolling these out and testing them. And you know, I I had seen the pictures, and I I did get a little excited. I will say, when I saw some of these pictures, so I kind of dug into the the CTA railfan forums, and I eventually found myself on a Discord channel where there were some folks who had been following these rail cars as they were driven up to the north side of Chicago to be tested on uh, some of the Skokie lines. So I have, I have delved in a little bit. I've been, you know, caught in the throes of, of train car love. There are there. also, there are also these old, these old forums that have been around since, you know, web 1.0 
that are full of old, like current and retired um, train operators and conductors and, you know, other sort of railroad line workers who will, will spin yarns of the good old days before, before whatever changed to the industry ruined everything. Right. There's, there's a whole world out there that I'm, I'm only kind of sort of part of, but I'm certainly an active participant in transit Twitter. Right. Uh, and that's, that's at least, at least my main connection to all this stuff. Right. Um, the posting to policy pipeline is real. We've been seeing it in real full swing over the past year. There's been a lot of, we are seeing it more and more. Um, okay. So let's jump into this, uh, infrastructure proposal a little bit. So, you know, we'll do, we'll definitely talk more about, uh, some of the other pieces of, of the infrastructure plan, uh, you know, I expect that this discussion about the infrastructure plan is going to go on for months. I mean, there's no way they're passing this. Every week is infrastructure. week. It's going to be infrastructure week for, yeah, at least, you know, 12 to 18 weeks, which I am here for. Yeah. I'm excited that it's, I live every week. Like it's infrastructure week. Yeah. I live it like it's shark week. Actually. (laughs) I'm cutting that. I don't know what that means. It's from, no, it's from 30 rock. Oh really? I've never yeah, seen live it. every week like it's Shark Week. It's so, oh wow. Oh, that's cool. No, yeah, I so just you've independently no, no we can't. No, I... You've independently <laughs> stuck on a Thirty Rock joke that mine was a variant of. You riffed back to the original. Yeah, right. I'm not stealing from who does that show? Tina Fey. I didn't steal from her. I just am independently as much of a genius. Exactly. Um, exactly. You you too can uh, can make a a brilliant show that that weaves absurdist humor with a slice of life for uh, the life of East coast television and microwave programming. Um, All right. So, so this infrastructure plan, uh, which we'll cover more sections of, but today we're mostly going to talk about the the transit stuff. So it's about $2.5 trillion. Um, There's a nice graphic that has been going around where, you know, all of the, different costs are kind of broken out um, by these larger categories. And it's basically a quarter, 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 quarter between, um, uh, you know, uh, infrastructure uh, at home, which, you know, people are using to refer to to housing and, you know, lead pipe replacement and these things. Um, A quarter for transportation related costs, uh, a quarter for, uh, you know, R&D and investments, and then a quarter for the care economy, uh, which maybe we'll get into this question of, you know, is healthcare infrastructure uh, in a little bit, but I'll let um, Mayor Seidel talk a little bit about what's in the transportation section of the infrastructure plan. Yeah, so I'm getting this from uh, Yona Freemark who uh, is always a good source for um, the latest in, in transportation uh, goings on in Washington. Um, so his breakdown, this is as of April 8th, so I don't know if it's changed since then. Um, with transit, it's 55 billion state of good repair, 25 billion expansion, 5 billion for ADA accessibility, uh, 25 billion for, he's saying electric transit, I guess that means electrification of, of rail and buses as distinct from EVs, which I think is separate. Uh, 20 billion for electric school buses, which is actually a, a really good um, first kind of bus to electrify. 
uh, for a lot of reasons because um, short version basically is that there's a lot of unknowns with with battery electric buses. Um, you know, like like how much longer they can go in the when it's cold. Uh, you know, so you may have seasonal effects that can affect your routes and your reliability. But um, school buses are are much more kind of centralized. They don't need to go across a whole city. They can they can sort of fan out just in a school district, and so it can be a little bit more um, better for sort of testing and reliability. Right. Um, but also, you always, if yeah. you're doing a petri dish, just put it on the kids, the children, the youth. Exactly. We need to experiment on the children. Yeah. That's exactly what I meant, and no one's going to clip this and take it out of context. Yeah. Um, and then we have inner city rail. So this is $39 billion for the Northeast Corridor, $16 billion for the Amtrak National Network. Uh, national Network meaning basically Amtrak outside the Northeast Corridor. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about Amtrak, but basically their funding is divided into three kinds of routes. There's Northeast Corridor, which is like the Acela, the Northeast Regional. Um, there are what are called state-supported routes, which are paid for, I forget exactly what the split is, but they're contributed to by the states, but Amtrak operates them. Um, so on the East Coast, that would be like the uh, the, the Keystone uh, to Harrisburg is uh, Philadelphia. Um, you know, in uh, the Hiawatha is Milwaukee, excuse me, Wisconsin. Uh, Illinois might also support it, I'm not sure, but definitely Wisconsin. Um, and then they have their long distance trains, which um, get get uh, money from the the basic um from the the federal appropriations so when he says national network i think he means the long distance trains but he might that might mean long distance and right uh, and state supported and you know to be clear the, you know there is not the level of detail that uh you know we actually would need to to break everything out by you know which line is getting getting what for for everything um right because this is not you know there's no bill for this yet that's that's been proposed this is this is basically you know all of this information is coming from uh this you know 10 page white house document that came out about you know two weeks ago a week and a half ago um and you know from that you know there's descriptions of, of what the money is going to be used for and, and what the what the president is proposing that uh, Congress should appropriate money for. And then you could do a little bit of, you know, kind of looking at that and then looking through, um, you know, both the Biden campaign platform and, uh, you know, some of the proposals that have been in place from, you know, advocacy organizations and other people in Congress to see, okay, you know, if Biden's talking about this spending in this amount for this thing, it's most likely referring to this proposal that came out two years ago. So there's a lot of extrapolation going on, and it, it's not exactly clear what what Congress is going to write um, yet. That's what these discussions over the next couple of months are going to uh, are going to show us in more. The detail. next couple of infrastructure months, right? Exactly. Yeah, and we've got um, twenty billion for intercity rail, um, which could mean new corridors, and five billion for freight and other, um, and that's just part of the that's just the transit portion of the uh transportation but there's also 115 billion for highways uh, highways bridges and roads but there, there is one good thing here there is one good thing here and i mean maybe i'm just completely um you know beaten down and, and uh and and to to uh, attach to the status quo so certainly you can take this as a grain of salt but there's a very good provision in here 
at least that I've, I've seen reported and was also in the, the American Rescue Plan, which was fix it first, which is the idea that you need to bring your roads up to a state of good repair before you can expand or build new ones. Um, and yeah. that's definitely a good first step. I would go farther. I would start saying, OK, we're going to cap lane miles of highways and start reducing them right. and start to incentivize, you know, tearing down urban highways and replacing them with boulevards. But um, right. certainly it's a good principle to say, okay, we've got a bunch of highways already. We have enough highways already. We don't need to add any more lanes. Or if you're going to, you have to make sure all your existing highways are fixed, fixed up first. Right. Um, over time, just sort of reverse the split. Historically, um, the transportation bill, which this is not the transportation bill. This is separate from a transportation bill, which will happen later. But traditionally, 80% of it goes to roads and 20% to transit. Um, ideally, we'd want to switch that. Um, but part of moving in that direction would be cutting off funding for new highways, right? And specializing on on repairs, which is which, so that's good. I, you know, I'm not so I, right. Critical no. support. Totally, totally. And yeah, the you know on the uh, the uh, you know reducing highways and and converting them to to boulevards there you know that's something that um you know a lot of european cities that built highways in the 50s and 60s are uh you know either in the process of converting a lot of them to boulevards or have already done so helsinki's you know partway through this you know mass conversion of their uh the highways that used to go out to the suburbs uh converting those to boulevards and and building new um commuter rail uh lines between those same suburbs that uh so yeah and what, so, what we know, tend to do yeah. what we tend to do in the united states is the much more capital intensive um much less transformational in terms of modal split um policy of burying the highway rather than just tearing it down so the big dig in boston the recent alaskan way viaduct in right. seattle right um and, but that that tends to number one, it's extremely expensive, and number two, uh, it, it the idea is that okay, we're going to keep the same modal split. We're going to keep people in their cars and driving with all of the the, the negative externalities and um, just generally bad things, everything from you know people dying in car crashes or getting run over by cars to pollution and climate change to what it does to our cities and and our, our communities. But um, but we'll just we'll just put it out of sight, out of mind, and people will dig through a tunnel that costs you know ten billion or more to build. So right, um, and I, so it, that's why I would much rather just tear them down. Um, and the thing that they found when this happens is that a lot of these cars just vanish. People just just tend to drive less. They find another way to get to where they're going, or they find a um, you know they take a shorter trip where previously they took a longer trip you know, that's of comparable trip time or, you know, they walk or they take the bus or whatever, but the, the cars just sort of go away and people don't, don't end up missing them in the, uh, once they get used to the change. Right. Yeah. And it, I don't know if uh, folks remember, but this Alaskan way viaduct was a particularly interesting situation where they, Oh uh, yeah. They, it, it they had basically this, proved it was a waste. Yeah. They had this, they, they bought this giant drill. Uh, God, what was the company that, that built the drill? Do you remember this? I forget, I forget the, the, the company, but I'm going to head in here and say it's called a tunnel boring machine. Yeah. Yeah. And it just, and they called it big Bertha. Right. It just kept screwing up and like not being able to drill through and it like broke. Right. Or do you remember this? It, yeah. Like, they had all broke kinds into of two problems. Pieces. I think it broke it. Yeah. Um, so what this is, it's a very large <laughs> diameter. So a tunnel boring machine can be any number of various diameters. And some of the newer ones uh, are very, very wide. 
Um, and so there, there's different applications. So Barcelona has a subway that they've been building. I don't know if they finished it yet or not, but they over the past few years, they have been building. I think it's line nine. And the idea is they use one of these big tunnel, the very large diameter tunnel boring machines that it's so big that they can fit, you know, both tracks and the stations in them. And they just have to, to dig, you know, access shafts for stairs and elevators to the stations. Um, so it's an interesting technology. It certainly has some applications, uh, but, um, uh, presumably carries a lot more risk, uh, maybe because the, the, the machinery is different. I don't know, but certainly because, um, anytime you're, you're, you're boring underground, you don't really know the geology you're going to run into. You can take some bores from the surface to try and guess, but the wider your diameter, the more variability of, you know, the more likely right. you're going to hit an underground stream that you didn't know was there or something like that. So, um, so certainly there's some, there's, there's, there's more risk anyway, interesting technology, but then, but then they, they, um, there was about a week or so when they weren't ready to open the new tunnel, but they needed to, to demolish the, um, but they hadn't demolished the old one yet. Right. And I think they needed to build the, the on-ramps or something like that. So they couldn't just switch it over. They had like a week or two where, where there was just no Alaskan way viaduct, whether the old one on the waterfront or the new one underground. And the trips just vanished. Like the cars just vanished. People were walking on the viaduct being like, Oh, this is cool. Uh, yeah. Man, <laughs> you know? uh, wow, this is really big. I didn't right. realize it was so big when I was in my car. <laughs> and right. and just people weren't weren't they, they thought it was going to be Carmageddon. The local news was 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 panicking about it for, you know, weeks or months leading up to it and and it was fine. Yeah. And they needn't have bothered. They could have just torn it down. Um All right, so let's let's move into some of the more uh specific things that are in the uh the transit specific uh you know meaning sure sure let me let me just let me just say there were a couple more transportation things that i didn't mention which is uh, a huge huge amount for electric vehicles the largest single transportation piece this is 174 billion uh so for electric cars evs um everyone gets a tesla you get a tesla you get get a a tesla Tesla, you you get get a tesla Tesla. uh, well, I imagine that mostly they won't be Teslas, and uh, you know, an yeah. actual actual auto manufacturer uh, that actually builds cars, um, but is valued at has a lower valuation than Tesla will probably end up uh, taking a larger share of the market. But um, right now is the yeah, time to buy yeah. Ford stock. Ford Ford is probably valued at like one one thousandth of Tesla right we, now. So. We we are not we are not uh, we are not financial advisors. Yeah, Ford stock is twelve. And past 12. performance is not a guarantee of future returns. Yeah. Ford stock is $12. So I'm just saying, guys, I like the stock. <laughs> yeah, we got to have Jim Cramer on. That would be a good get. <laughs> yeah. I saw him on a subway once. He was much less animated than he is on television. Yeah, if you see him again, you try and get him on. Yeah, I'll, I'll try and get him on. I'll try and get him on. But um, yeah, so that's 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 a big one. Um, you know, I'm I'm not I'm not against it. I EVs are certainly not sufficient, but I, I think just too much of our country is built for built as auto sprawl for us to just immediately flip over to public transit and other sustainable modes as much as I would love to do that. I, totally. I think that will take time. Totally. So yeah. I'm, I'm not going to hand ring about EVs, although anything with EVs should also include electric bikes. That's, um, yeah. that to me makes perfect sense uh, because they can, can replace a lot of car trips, but, um, and then just, just really quickly, the other pieces, um, Airports, water transit, and ports, $42 billion. 
transportation inequities 45 billion uh that's a very interesting question i don't actually know what that is so we'll have to go into that in the future unless you know uh, no, infrastructure I, resilience and then there's 50 billion and then others 30 billion so that, altogether transportation 621 billion a lot of money maybe the inequity is is ada capital upgrade supplement or uh or, I, I or don't it could just be think so because because yona freemark said there was five billion for ada for ada now that's for transit but that that's the main kind of transportation ada need right because for yeah. cars you just have a, a curb cut and a and a couple of uh right of uh, parking spaces near near whatever entrance um yeah the capital no intensive stuff is is transit so it, I, it could be any number of things I, i'd be very interested to know more but um yeah i haven't seen i think it. speculating is beyond the scope of today's episode um so uh let's let's talk about this the you know electrifying transportation uh section yeah so um so in the bill, it was um, separate from the EVs. It was, I think, 25 billion, not counting the school buses, which was another 20. And there's this, another thing that I think is a separate, separate question, called the Green Act, which comes from the sort of left, uh, left flank of the of the Democratic House delegation. Um, and and this is uh, I believe it's separate from the the econ the uh, infrastructure bill, but it's um, the Build Green Act, which uh, they love their acronyms. Better utilizing investments to leverage development and generate renewable energy for electrification now act, and that would be 500 billion over 10 years. So this is definitely above and beyond the infrastructure bill. Uh, includes EV stuff, but also also public transit. I'm using a breakdown here from Data for Progress. Um, and they basically estimate, you know, how much they think it would take to electrify things. But the, the, the main point I want to make about this is that electrification is a really, really good electrification of transit is a really, really good thing for federal funds to be devoted to because it is a, at least in the case of rail and catenary buses, um, battery electric buses are a little bit more of a new technology, but, um, for catenary buses, uh, excuse, catenary buses and, um, rail electrification usually through catenary uh it's a it's a very proven technology it's been around since like the 30s and, and and actually a little earlier than that but widely adopted starting around the 30s 1930s so it's almost 100 years old um it has all sorts of uh advantages to performance uh, you get better acceleration you get better local air quality uh, it's more efficient in terms of overall energy usage to you know generate the, the electricity centrally and 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 have it move right. a train right uh but um american railroads and transit agencies tend to be less uh less they tend to be more hesitant to electrify than their peers in europe and japan uh for for whatever reason um, right you know we could get into why but 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 basically it's it's a big sort of upfront cost that they generally don't feel that they can they can do it, it has all kinds of savings on the back end but they're amortized over a long period they come in the form of you know speculative like maybe more people will ride if we electrify because we can you know run a faster train more frequently or whatever right but um it requires a lot of upfront costs that um that transit twitter sort of sort of people often underestimate what those costs are 
Uh, so, so it's it's a perfect thing for the federal government to say, okay, we're gonna we're gonna pay you to to electrify. Uh, right. You know, if you want to electrify, you can you can you know get get a grant to do it. Right. This um, is this is this is a similar thing with with the uh, which I think we'll do another episode about about housing uh, production costs and things like that. But this is uh, similar to the issues that public housing authorities in the United States you know, face today where they have a lot of real estate assets that they've, you know, held for, uh, you know, a lot of the stuff was built in the 50s, 60s, 70s. Um, and a lot of those buildings are in dire need of capital upgrades. They need, uh, I mean, some even need to be entirely rebuilt, but, you know, a majority of them need things as basic as uh, pipe replacements, window replacements, HVAC replacements, um, you know, uh, upgrades in uh, kitchens, flooring, well, you know, they all need various different types of things. And it's one of those issues where, um, you know, these agencies just can't, are, you know, unable to, to give those costs uh, that are needed to do, do those repairs up front, uh, even though it saves them on uh, maintenance costs on on the back end because these costs just balloon and balloon and balloon and they just can't maintain but they they don't have the funds available to them uh, and Congress has refused for decades to to fund the capital needs of public housing authorities but yeah, now I've... in this proposal there there is actually 40 billion for public housing authority capital upgrades this is you know um, not enough uh you know, 40, 40 billion for the whole country uh, sounds like a lot, but the the needs of NYCHA are forty billion alone, uh, and NYCHA's so just give it all to NYCHA, right? Well, I mean, right? If, I mean, if, if federal this... government is just for funding New York's infrastructure needs, <laughs> if I mean, right? If the bill passes as is, NYCHA would probably only actually get uh, somewhere between eight to ten billion dollars. Um, because it would probably be based on estimate number of units, and, and NYCHA has about 16% of the country's public housing units. Yeah, anyway, and I've, it's a similar I've, thing where you, you know you have these capital needs to do these things that obviously are good in the long term, and you just don't have the funds up front, and uh, you know you're just you're just trying to maintain operations uh, and and keep yourself afloat and. You need the federal government to step in and say, "Here's the cash." Um. So, uh, want to make another point on on the on the Green Act thing, or move into the? Industry? No, that that was that was the big that was the big point I wanted to make. Uh, yeah. You want to talk about Amtrak? Yeah, let's do. Yeah, I think this this question of, um, you know, there's a lot of. It seems like there's a lot of different pots of money for different types of trains, um, and I think a lot of people generally think, "Oh, there's money for trains. It's just you know, oh, this train that I you know ride is going to get all the money now, right?" Uh, but now, actually, to there's... be fair, to be fair, more trains are more better. Yes, we do so know that. You can be forgiven for not necessarily knowing the distinctions between the different kinds of train, so right. long as you understand that more trains are more better. Yeah. So let's let's get into a lot of these, a few of these different types of trains, and, and where some of this money is going, and why some people are 
either mad or happy or you know melting down <laughs> about the actual breakdown between these you know between regional rail commuter rail high speed rail which doesn't exist and isn't getting funded um <laughs> well we have we have one we have one high speed train in, in the united states yeah uh, the acela the acela mostly counts right it's it's kind of borderline but I, yeah i think it, especially it, it will certainly count when they when they roll out the new the new fleet that they're that they're right. testing now yeah i will say um, i did i did recently ride not the acela but the the normal uh northeast regional from new york city up to providence fantastic ride i don't think it should have taken three hours to be but you took the you took the acela or the northeast regional i took the northeast regional yeah. So the speed advantage of the Acela, I, I don't know about you know that specific um, route, but I've I've taken I've taken it up to Boston certainly, and the difference is you'd be astounded at how little the speed advantage is with the Acela. Right. Yeah. But I, I'm um, talking about yeah, I'm talking about you know 300 kilometer per hour kind of. That's what I'm hoping for. Right. I just right. want I just so, want to be able to you know. I just want to be a teleport up to Cape Cod. That's all I'm saying. Of course. No, 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 no. We, we, this, this is, these are the trains that we, maybe not the trains that we deserve, but the trains that we need. Yeah. Um, but, but I, I want to talk about the differences between the different kinds of train. Now, maybe, maybe your audience knows all this already, but I think, I think it's important to understand. No, they don't. And I think, okay, well, well, I, we don't know how many train heads I'm bringing in here, Paul. Yeah, that's true. We don't know how many rail fans are just, just I mean, yearning for the content. Yeah. I mean, hell, man, there's probably something I'm going to learn if you talk about the difference between commuter and regional rail. So let's go. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so basically we had a lot of, so Amtrak released a map um, and they have a new website actually, which I think is Amtrak connects us.com. I'm uh, typing it to be sure. Yes, uh, Amtrak connects us.com. It looks like connects us is their sort of branding for this um, this expansion plan. And um, they started to flesh out the website a little bit. They created a Twitter account. But the first thing that they did, uh, understandably, was was the map because people love people love their maps. And uh, there were a lot of bad takes. There was uh, there was a real meltdown from a guy called uh, Ben Dreyfus. Do you know who? Do you know this guy? I think he's like a journalist, the, but he's the son of a famous actor. Uh, oh, is he Julia Louis Dreyfus's son? No, Richard Dreyfus. Yeah. Julia Louis Dreyfus comes from French industrialists, but she's brilliant, so we're cool with her. But this guy Ben Dreyfus is some some fail son who went on a whole meltdown about um uh just about how he you know he hates taking long distance trains and 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 people were uh we're saying uh, basically just swarming him, which you know I don't I don't condone condone this sort of thing, but it was funny, uh, and and he just kept kept he just oh, kept trying yeah. to post through it. No, uh, I'm I'm looking funny. at this thread now. I like that people care about trains, but have you guys ever been on a really long train ride? It's not great, yes. dude. Yes, it is great. It is great. Yeah, I don't know what you're talking about, man. That's funny. I mean, he's he just all right, man. You don't have to ride the train, then, buddy. Whatever. You don't have to ride it. Yeah, uh, it, it's not. It's not as though you know, aviation travel is not catered to. Yeah. Well, and he says I've taken Amtrak across the country, and it's not an ideal way of doing that. Right. If it was, you know, it would be cool if it was three times faster. Yeah. 
you know. I don't now, know. There, there, is, Here, there is a threshold. There is a threshold, which traditionally is taken to be 500 miles. China has proven with with some of their, their new high-speed network that you can push it to as much as 750 miles, where trains just, even high-speed trains, just are not really competitive with planes anymore. Now, I think uh, if, we're, if we're taking climate really seriously and we're thinking in terms of reducing working hours, increasing connectivity of Wi-Fi, things like that, uh, and, and working from home being more common, I, I wouldn't be surprised, actually, if it might be possible to be competitive with planes where basically you can take a train where it takes longer, but it's more comfortable, and maybe you work from the train for a day, you know, or we just normalize taking more vacation time, and so it's not a big deal. Right. Um, but but that's that's more speculative kind of future political economy stuff under under the under existing capitalism and existing um, high speed rail technology you can you can push it to about 750 miles but but certainly safely 500 miles you can you can be competitive because a train if it's fast enough uh, can can beat a plane on door to door because you don't have to drive all the way out to the airport wait in wait in the security you know you, right it's right, not right, miserable right. you don't have to get there an hour and a half early all that stuff. Um, so, but, but that's still, you know, a majority of the, um, the kind of other than, other than your, you know, New York to Los Angeles flights, that's, that's going to cover a lot of trips that people are making by plane or just driving. Um, so, so there was his, there was his meltdown. There was a, a story in Politico by, uh, Michael Grunewald stating so Amtrak Joe. Yeah. Um, and then there was uh, Matt Iglesias tweeting, uh, tweeting out a map by um, Alon Levy, uh, which was it was Alon Levy's um, uh, yeah routes, I, but the map was was by someone else called. I want to I want to cite it. Uh, I, I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing this, but a Twitter user whose Twitter name is uh, Kuyagi. Um probably, but they basically took Alon's corridors and made it and made a map. Probably mispronouncing but, that one, but. I'm I mean, sure I, I am. I'm sure I am. But I, I want to cite it because people people are saying like Alon made the map. Alon made the the routes right. on a Twitch stream, uh, and then and then this other person, uh, and, Kuyoki, um made the map. Sorry should, if I'm pronouncing your name, mispronouncing your name. I should say you know the the Alon map is you know like I read the whole like the whole long post about like how the how the map was generated right and it, you know it's basically taking. Uh, uh, Alon's map is is looking at population in uh, these regions and distances between the cities, and basically using a a formula for how many people would be expected to, you know, buy tickets to ride that train, and you know, comparing that to the cost to build that amount of rail. And how much of the capital costs you're going to be able to recoup over whatever year span um, of of you know that many people riding the train, and it's and it's you know basically there are these thresholds in you know uh, rail planning, and you know partly coming out of academia that that you know describe these relationships you know relatively well in terms of uh, you know. Um, how many people you can expect to ride if a population is, you know, this and this, you know, between these two cities, for example. Um, but 
that said, it is obviously, you know, it is theoretical and somewhat speculative, um, you know, whether that's the actual ridership that you're going to get and and how much of your cost you're actually going to be able to recoup. Well, the, the, the distinction here is that, so the Amtrak map that Amtrak is releasing is of existing routes that they want to improve, or existing routes that are just there, right. existing routes that they want to improve, and new routes that they want to build. But crucially, the distinction here is that for the most part, Amtrak is talking about conventional intercity rail. Right. They're talking about, you know, a regular train probably going on existing tracks. Maybe they're going to build some sidings. Maybe they're going to double track part of it. But it's not going to be a, a brand new gleaming, a type high-speed train. Alon's map is of places that they think would be viable as high-speed rail corridors. Now, I, I'm not, regardless of the methodology, there's different ways you could approach it. Um, the map is the map is perfectly fine. Um, people who follow me on Twitter know that I'm constantly arguing with Alon about any number of things, but the, the map is, is totally fine. I have no problems with the map. In fact, the map is, um, well, I think some of the travel times are, are a little bit optimistic, but other than that, I have no problem with the map. The, the thing about, <laughs> I have quibbles with the map, but I don't have major problems with the map. Yeah. Um, the thing is that if you actually look and someone called um, Brendan Daw took the Amtrak map and just erased the long distance routes, the map <laughs> that shows up is remarkably similar to Alon's map. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. Because the regardless of the methodology that you use, the basic the basic um city pairs are roughly the same. But we basically know where the trains should go, at least in the first couple of phases. Right. You know, like like we have more routes than there's likely to be money in the foreseeable future. So it's really a question of like which ones to do first. Totally, yeah. And, um, and how, basically and when you do them, how much to do and and also you know i mean i don't know if this is the case but you know i would imagine that if you are making improvements on say the chicago to st louis corridor you know there if you are making those improvements with the possibility of doing a high speed um line in the future you know you can do the type of planning that would you know be more co would be cost effective for you know with regards to your future plans Right. So here's here's the difference. Here's the difference. Um, so high speed rail and the kind of conventional what Amtrak calls its corridor routes, um, you know, conventional non overnight intercity rail. They're both intercity rail, which means trains between distinct cities or distinct metropolitan areas rather than like commuter or regional trains within a metropolitan area. They're both intercity rail. The, the difference is that high-speed rail is built to a very high performance standard. It's like the train equivalent of like the Concorde, you know, like a supersonic jet or the train equivalent of like a sports car. Uh, it's it's built to a very high standard. That means it has they have very gentle curves. They have very gentle grades. Uh, they're almost, almost exclusively electrified. There are a few kind of experimental that use like a gas turbine, but generally always electrified with what's called constant tension catenary. So you pull it tight like a tight rope to reduce friction. Uh, they need special signaling systems that are um, cab signaling, which means that the, the train operator sees the signals in the cab because it's going too fast to read them, to read wayside signals on the side of the, uh, on right. the side of the right of way. There's, there's, you know, you have streamlined aerodynamic rolling stock. They're generally all 
electric multiple units, which means there are multiple motors uh, distributed throughout the train rather than a locomotive pulling. All these sorts of things. Now you can, if you have a line that's already pretty high quality, it's already double tracked, it's already um, already pretty straight, already pretty uh, not too steep. You know, you can successively upgrade to get to high-speed standards, and that's what the Acela is. Right, right, right. But right. for the most part, when we talk about high-speed rail, we're talking about a totally new pair yeah. of tracks built to extremely high standards, and that's that's the issue here, which is that it's a very, very capital-intensive thing to do, and you sort of need to do it all at once. So this is the uh, this is the problem that the California High-Speed Rail Authority ran into, which is you can't really phase a high, a new, what they call greenfield high-speed route uh, with, okay, first we'll put in a track and then we'll electrify it and then we'll put in a second track and then we'll improve the signals. You know, that sort of gradual thing. Right. You can't do that if you're building high-speed rail all in one go. The only choice you have for phasing it is, oh, okay, I guess we'll just do it from Fresno to Bakersfield. Right. Um, and but that's you need sort to of do the it. problem. Right. So it needs it needs this uh, very real upfront commitment to its capital intensity. Yeah. Um, Which so again, as we know, yeah. is is difficult to come by, right? But I mean, you know, if you've seen, uh, I'm sure you've seen this this uh, animation of the number of kilometers of high speed rail track that has been laid. Uh, by different countries from, you know, 1970 to, to the present. And it's like, you know, the 1970, have you seen this? this um, I, I know, I know the sort of thing you're talking about. So basically in 2007, China starts building its network. I think it's about 2007. Well, they do, they and do some, they have a little about bit as much before, as the rest yeah. of, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Oh, so, but I mean, yeah, now so they're Japan invents it. Japan invents it in the sixties with the Shinkansen. Right. right. Uh, and then, and then Paris. I'm uh, sorry. France does uh, the the TGV in, I guess, the late '70s or the early '80s or so. Um, Spain does. Yeah, some. yeah. And then those are the sort of two basic kind of original systems that others are largely based on. But then China starts theirs in 2007 or so, and they now have about as much as the rest of the world combined, right? Give or take. It's it's this. I mean, when you see this animation. Um, you know, you just you just see like the year that, you know, you see like I think actually in the early to earlier 2000s, China, you know, lays a little bit of track and, and pumps it up a little bit and then they lay off for a couple of years. And then, you know, yeah, 2007, eight, they just like hit the, they just pound the pavement and they're and all of a sudden, like they're just outpacing, you know, every other country by, you know, orders of orders of magnitude. It's incredible because they just they just laid the money down. They're like. Yeah, we want to do this, and yeah, they you, just, do it, you just they have just, to lay the money down. They just did it. But somewhat unusually, they are more or less skipping the kind of intermediate investment of improving their conventional legacy network, which right. is what Amtrak is proposing to do. Right. Um, and so what, what I find very frustrating about this um, sort of discourse from the, you know, the Iglesias and from the, the uh, Michael Grunewald Politico article is they're essentially going all in on this idea that that rail can only work in the Northeast and it's a waste of money to do it anywhere else. Um, that's basically what the Grunewald one is saying. What Iglesias is saying is he's taking Alon Levy's map and saying, unlike Amtrak, this reflects a real effort to think about the kind of routes that could attract reasonable ridership. But they're basically 
the same roots. The difference is, and I don't even think Iglesias understands this difference. I think he's just being confused by the presence of the existing long distance routes on Amtrak's map. But what he doesn't understand is that the thing that's different about Levy's map is that Levy's proposing doing high speed rail all in one go in these corridors, and Amtrak is proposing um, incremental upgrades to the existing... either existing routes or, or you know, adding kind of minimum viable passenger service on you know existing freight routes or alongside existing freight routes right and in practice you you do both right china's rather unusual that they're like they're they are so confident in high-speed rail and their state capacity to build a lot of it in a short amount of time that they can sort of get away with neglecting the legacy route the, the legacy routes but i don't think the united states can get away with that i think we need to accept that we're going to have that we that we need to have both basically right um, and, this, and it's not unusual for a legacy route to take, you know, one route through a lot of, you know, small city centers and the high speed line to sort of bypass everything, like almost like the difference between, the, you know, Route 66 and, and an interstate. Right. Which I mean, this and this gets into. Right. We should talk about this question of, of what are the different what are all of the different types of of rail and what are the different populations that they serve and types of trips that they serve? Because, you know, we. You know, at the kind of lowest level, you have your, uh, you know, you have your municipal transit, right? You have, uh, you know, I live in Brooklyn and, uh, you know, I want to take the uh, M train into Manhattan. And that's, you know, that's just the, uh, that's just the city transit. But then you go up a level. Uh, right. And you start to Well, have... there's, there's a whole, there's a whole kind of hierarchy here, which... Yeah. Um, really, what it's what it's uh, in opposition to is the hierarchy of automobility, right? So, so traffic engineers have this hierarchical arrangement of different kinds of streets. So they have local streets, which is like a local right. little street or lane that you know a lot of people will live on. Have a regular imagine a sort of regular single family home sort of thing. Uh, they feed into collector streets. Those collector streets feed into arterials. Those are the big kind of wide streets that are maybe, you know, say six lanes with uh, maybe with a seventh kind of middle left turn lane. Right. Uh, often have, you know, strip malls along the side. Those sorts of streets are arterials. Uh, and then they go to highways and freeway. Right. And this of which is... the highest is the, you know, limited access freeways like interstates. Right. But re regardless of how they're they're physically laid out, the the hierarchy of streets has a kind of the, the sort of green thing that we want to replace this with uh, is a hierarchy is an intermodal hierarchy of a bunch of different sustainable modes of transportation. Right. And part of what makes it a real planning challenge, in addition to all of the political challenges about getting enough funding and, and, you know, uh, right-wing politicians saying, oh, this is a waste of our tax money and, oh, it's social engineering, blah, 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 blah. In addition to, you know, those political problems, there's Which a, there's it a, is, a it is social problem. It is social engineering, and that's good, but, you know, moving on from that. Well, no, so we're going to have to talk about, about Sweden and, and, you know, the Myrdals and, and all that good stuff. Yeah. But um, setting aside whether whether that's a appropriate description or not, um, there's a sort of technical problem, which is that if I'm a traffic engineer, I have to think about this whole hierarchy of roads. I have to think about locals and collectors and level of service and blah, 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 blah. But if I'm a regular motorist, if I'm just a regular driver, all I have to do is buy a car. 
and I know that the system will get me to where it goes, where I want to go. Yeah. And I don't need to think about whether the county maintains the collector street and the state maintains the arterial or whether it's a interstate highway or a, or a, or a parkway or what. I don't, I don't need to care about that. I just need to get in my car and it will, and I know it will take me to where I, where I want to go for a green, uh, mobility system to replace this. There is a similar hierarchy, which is you go from, uh, sidewalks and bike lanes to, um, local transit, like you mentioned. So this would be buses being the main kind of that. Right. And then in the most intensive corridors, you can upgrade this. A uh, light rail is basically the highest form of a bus upgrade. Right. Um, it, it serves a similar function. It, it, you know, you take a bus, you replace it with a big articulated bus that has its own bus lanes, you know, and then that gets crowded. And okay, then you replace that with a light rail. Um, then you get a kind of qualitative shift when you go to uh, like a subway or a metro, right? which is faster. It's going to be able to go all sorts of places. It's much more capital intensive to build, but it's much more transformational for your city to build it. Um, those are all sort of within a city or within kind of city and kind of inner suburbs, especially metros often go out into suburbs. Right. Then the, the above the sort of higher up on the, on the ladder for transit is primarily uh, railroads. So in the United States and in Europe, uh, they don't really have this distinction in Asia, but in the United States and Europe, there is a distinction between um, urban rail transit, like light rail and subways and railroads, which is the national railroad network, which Amtrak and the freight railroads use. So in the case of railroads, the next level up is what we call regional or commuter rail. And the distinction here, this is sort of transit Twitter parlance rather than kind of broadly accepted industry parlance. But uh, generally on transit Twitter, we talk about commuter rail as being commuter rail as practiced in most of the United States, which is it's uh, very exclusionary. It's very peak focused. It's, it's, um, you know, has very high fares. It charges basically a luxury fare, right? It's very specialized to bedroom, um, bedroom commuters, bedroom suburb commuters into the city center. Right. It's mostly diesel. It's it's uh, it's basically taking, you know, people who live in the suburbs into the job core of your metropolitan region at nine o'clock in the morning and then taking right. them back to their uh, single family home at five o'clock in the evening. That's that's what and, and this is this is something um, like Metra in Chicago. Um, yeah, Metra is you know, an example of this. Right. This is. Uh, you know, these are the these are the rail lines that, you know, uh, you know, take people, uh, you know, from Connecticut into Manhattan in the mornings, things like that. Right. And when we talk about regional rail, we talk about rail at a similar sort of um, scale, but run more like a rapid transit system, like a subway. So. Um, right. More service throughout the day, more frequent. Um, and also more kind of capital investments like electrification, because that improves your acceleration, your performance. It reduces your maintenance costs, makes it easier to run more trains, that sort of thing. So, um, and right. that's very common in Europe. The the most exciting sort of thing about that in the United States is uh, is Caltrain in Northern California, 
has a modernization program, including electrification, where they are sort of trying to make this switch on their line, which goes through the the western part of the San Francisco Bay Area. And uh, but it, this is like in 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 Germany they're called it S-Bahn. Uh, in Paris it's called the RER. In in Japan it's just what the suburban trains are. Uh, right. But it's it's comparatively rare in the United States. There's similar similar scales, but commuter rail is a sort of exclusionary uh, skews very wealthy regional rails. The the one that we want to move to. Right. And so we argue all all the time about how to do that. It's it's different types of trips too that people that you know the people who are who are riding on these routes are. You can think about the type of trips that they're taking differently, and and part of that is just due to you know the design, you know where like you know Metra in Chicago that you know you have you have trips from the suburbs into the city, but you know there you have one you know you have one at seven forty five, one at eight, one at eight fifteen, one at eight thirty, you know, and then you know you have maybe one every hour and a half until you get to about four thirty, and then they pick up again. Whereas these these uh, other type of regional rail routes, uh, you know, like like for example the northeast corridor um uh that amtrak operates you know you you have what you know five evenly spaced um trips a day up 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 the corridor and down the corridor right so Am- amtrak is different though amtrak is the sort of next rung on the ladder right amtrak is intercity rail in other words it's for the most part there's a right. few exceptions but generally amtrak is specialized to intercity rail which is you know the northeast regional train goes from Boston all the way to Washington, right? Um, this is, it's serving sort of different, uh, different cities. Right. Um, and this is, this is where, you know, on a, if, if you're driving a car, right, this is the difference between, you know, driving to work in the morning or driving to the store and going on a road trip. Right. Right. That's the distinction there. And, and, and intercity rail also overlaps somewhat with planes, especially for longer trips. Um, and then high-speed rail is a particular kind of intercity rail that has a very large amount of upfront investment, so that it gets very high performance. Um, and just to just to circle and, back and to, hopefully very high use is the aim. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, you want all these to have high use, right? right? For the most part, like you can like part of it is you have you know little buses around the edges that don't get that many people just to just to have connectivity, right? Right. Like. Like um, part of what we want to do is we want to produce the same conditions that the dr- when the driver steps out of their house in the morning and goes and unlocks their car, <laughs> they know that the road network will take them I'm to just, wherever they are going. They don't I'm need just to a, like. I'm just a, a driver. Guidebook. I'm just a driver, and I'm just stepping out of my house. <laughs> just stepping out of your house. I'm a driver. Like, uh, like, no, yeah. really though. Like the no, like no, no, a, yeah. A driver doesn't need to consult a guidebook or a special atlas to know whether or not, you know. The, the road Whether is going to take them. Yeah. Yeah. Like the road doesn't stop and say, Oh, sorry, you have to get out and take a bus now. Like right. that doesn't happen. Right. Um, anywhere that a bus goes, a car can also go, but there are plenty of places that a bus doesn't go that a car can. Except um, for the bus depot. You can't drive. Don't try and drive your right. car into not, the bus depot. Do not do that. Do not, <laughs> do not try to walk up to a bus depot. <laughs> I, I once walked like I, as though I was like, I wasn't, but, but they thought I was, and they started waving like, "No, go away!" <laughs> yeah, yeah, they, they, they're they having a around. they're having a a private rail fan ceremony, and you weren't. Yeah, invited. no, you don't you don't want to you don't want to mess around with that. They they you don't want to get anyone anyone fired. <laughs> but um, yeah, so what? So we're trying to produce that same that same outcome, and part of it is that 
right. uh, means that we want the system to work seamlessly, right? So we want the fares to be as as balanced as possible. We right. want the service to run late into the night and early into the morning. We want it to be serving lots of different kinds of uh, trips rather than just uh, commutes into the city. But the, the thing that was frustrating me just to get back to discourse about the Amtrak map is that um, it's perfectly fine to have both conventional intercity rail and shiny new high-speed rail. And I think when Americans go to, you know, they maybe they visit Europe or they'll, they'll you know, see photos of these beautiful gleaming high-speed trains, they think, oh, okay, people can ride trains everywhere in Europe and these are the trains that they ride because they're just the most memorable and, you know, you're more likely to take one if you're visiting Japan or, or France or something like that. And so they, they sort of project that onto this whole system right. of which high-speed rail is at the very top of. Right. In All the same of... way that interstate highways and hub airports are at the top of the system of automobility and aviation. Right. High-speed rail is at the top of. But, like, when you're getting in your car, you're not getting on the interstate for every single trip. And you're certainly not driving to the airport for every single trip. Um, so, so yes, we absolutely want high speed rail, but it's not it's not a substitute for all of these other investments down the line. And I think that we don't do ourselves any favors if if we um, if politicians try to sell these investments as though they're high speed rail, even when they're not, which is what the Obama administration did, and it disappointed everybody, or saying that because something isn't high speed rail, that it's therefore not worth doing. Uh, there might be some corridors where it makes sense. Okay, we don't really need both. We can just go all in on high speed, and that's fine. Right. And China decided to do that for the whole country. But for the most part, I think it's it's totally fine to have, you know, a conventional route that serves a lot of the kind of smaller city centers. Uh, takes a little longer, but it serves the intermediate destinations better. And you've got a high speed train that just zooms by. It stops at a couple park and rides in the middle of the sticks, and then it only rejoins you know, right before it enters the big, the big city terminal in Chicago or wherever. Right. Yeah. So that's my two cents about it. High speed rail is good, but it's not all about high speed rail. Yeah. And to my point earlier about, about, you know, part of this is, you know, part of the reason that you do want uh, these really high speed trains that are, you know, shiny and gleaming and, and, you know, it's like a big project that everyone's proud of is, I mean, to, you very much do want to attract ridership, uh, especially if you are coming to the, you know, if you're coming to high-speed rail as a, as a policy thing that you think is good, particularly because you want to decrease the use of uh, fossil fuel uh, transportation modes. So, you know, if you want, you know, if you want to decrease uh use of airplanes and cars you want to provide an alternative that is both fast and can you know basically meet the same need very fast and you want it to be um you know this exciting thing that people are going to be willing to try and that's something that you see you know transit agencies in general try to do is, is just get people to try riding the transit and so you have these uh incentives to you know try and bring new people in because you often see this effect where once people try something uh, like transit, obviously not all of them stay and say, oh, wow, this is fantastic. I'll do it forever. But um, some of them do. And and part of it is you just you want that to happen. Well, Connecticut's uh, Shoreline East service, which is a kind of 
um, kind of hybrid of intercity and, and, and regional. It's sort of its own thing. Um, it was not intended to be permanent. It was actually set up by the Connecticut Department of Transportation as a sort of alternative for when they were doing a bunch of work on I-95 and they closed a bunch of lanes. They kept some lanes open, but as a sort of capacity relief measure, they created this not high speed, just conventional rail. It's um, yeah. actually used diesel locomotives when really they should they should use uh, uh, EMUs, electric multiple units, um, as soon as that's possible for them to do. But um, because the line is already electrified, but uh, people people started using them. They they had not intended to make it permanent, and they ended up making it permanent because it it worked. Uh, yeah. Because people stayed, they preferred it. So uh, this is absolutely part of it. Um, although I I will one other thing about high speed rail, it is. It is very much a prestige project. That's part of what drives totally, it. Totally. And and it's not primarily its market is not primarily, you know, families going on vacation. Certainly you can do that. But uh, it's what it's mainly competing with actually is like business class flights. Totally. Like that's the kind of people who are it, the kind of bread and butter for high speed rail. It's business right. travelers. And it right. I mean high speed rail, you know, if it ever gets built, it you know, it is it is not going to be ten dollars to ride from uh you know atlanta to miami yeah it, it tends to be premium price which the acela is and they still fill those um right. in practice actually the acela is it's not even that much faster i think it probably will be with the new of la liberties but um yeah it's actually not that much faster than the regional so it's basically just like 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 the next class up or the next two classes up in terms right. of really more like price point than than travel time really um so, you know, I think there's a lot more on this stuff that, that we can cover. And I, I know we didn't really get into the, uh, the more detailed construction cost stuff, um, but we're, we're a little over an hour now. Um, yeah, so I'm thinking yeah, we, we should talk about save that. that for another one because, uh, you know, and, uh, and honestly, maybe with some of the cost stuff, it, it would be, you know, we can talk about this, but maybe it would be good to try and get a, a guest to, to have, uh, you know, um, uh, some extra back and forth. Yeah, definitely. Um, just just to tease it a little bit, there's a a um, kind of ongoing discussion about whether or not the United States pays more for um, infrastructure, particularly rail infrastructure, than other countries do. Um, and uh, it's actually not clear if this is a United States problem or a New York problem. There are different uh, conclusions that people have come to. A part of the challenge is it's, it's actually quite hard to compare these costs uh, because you don't really know what what people are counting when they when they report a certain cost. But um, certainly, it's at least possible that either New York in particular or the United States in general in general is overpaying for these sorts of infrastructure, this sort of infrastructure. And so there's some papers that. Um, on a future episode, we will discuss uh, that uh, that are trying to get to the bottom of this, um, uh, whether it's a problem, what's causing it, and uh, what we can do about it. Um, and frankly, my opinion is that nobody really knows, <laughs> but uh, we can uh, we can get into that uh, in a future episode. Yeah, and and for what it's worth, uh, as another teaser, this is this is also. Uh, something that comes up in, in the realm of subsidized affordable housing, um, where you have, uh, you know, per unit costs for, uh, apartments built in, in different cities, just 
really going sky high. I, I think San Francisco is approaching seven or eight hundred thousand uh, dollars per unit of affordable housing. You know, whereas you know, uh, someone you know in like St. Louis, right, an affordable housing unit is is closer to you know one fifty or maybe three hundred thousand at the high end. Um, and you see these prices inflating and, and there's a lot of discussion about what is, what is driving that because it's not all the subsidy, you know, there's a lot of construction factors that, that may be driving it too. Anyway, we'll, we'll get, we'll, we'll go more on these topics, uh, on some future episodes and Paul breaking news, breaking news just now, just now, wow. just out of Las Vegas in the convention center, Elon Musk has unveiled the future of transportation. You could cancel the infrastructure bill. There's a tunnel where the Teslas drive not very fast. Yeah, I saw the video, man. It looks like lights. It looks like the news report about it is speeding up the film, so it looks like it's fast. Yeah, I saw this. It looks like it looks like these little guys are going like 12 miles an hour down the like (laughs) down like a, a one lane tunnel. And, and, and remember that this was promised in a series of renderings, which are used by this CNBC, um, the CNBC puff piece, uh, depicting you know these special 16-person skates they were called going down these car elevators into these beautiful tunnels, and they're all self-driving, and they literally open with this rendering and then show that it's literally just a Tesla in a tunnel that a guy is driving at you know right. Like yeah, it's just 20 miles an hour. Like- rails that like pull it or whatever and it none of that stuff it's literally just a tunnel and they didn't even develop new tunnel boring they just bought a tunnel boring machine yeah so this absolute scam is getting is getting all sorts of of puff coverage um wow wow uh amtrak wanting to you know run a train from but that's how but this is all is is being is being dismissed by uh by our our enlightened centrist uh, pundits but this is, you know, the only real reading of this is that is that Musk is trying to uh, boost up Tesla share prices before the next shareholders meeting because they probably didn't bring in enough revenues, which is why they were like double charging people for cars two weeks ago. They're just trying to, you know, pump up the value. So yeah, no, no, it's is, the future of transportation. What else is new? We can cancel the infrastructure package. Uh, well, we're going to have to agree to disagree on that one, Mayor Seidel. But uh, yeah, we're okay. Yeah, we're 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 hitting it. So um, more on these topics in the coming weeks. I'm hoping that uh, next episode we can we can go hardcore on uh, some of the housing proposals in the infrastructure package. Uh, and what they mean for cities, and and hopefully we can talk about the emergency rental assistance programs um, that have uh, been funded recently and ha- and had been cropping up um, before even Congress explicitly appropriated money for it. Um, Sounds good. Yeah. All right. Well, this is Paul Williams signing off. This is Emil Zidel. I have not been fired yet. Yep, another. Uh, yeah, I guess we just have to do it, the thing like the te- you know number of episodes since either of us have since been Emil fired. has been fired. Yeah, since we've been fired. It has been two episodes since Emil has been fired. Great, we're doing good.